CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. In the month of April, the Startup Women podcast will be taking a deep dive into rural entrepreneurship across Canada. What unique challenges do rural founders face? Are there advantages of starting up in a rural ecosystem? What specific support does this community need? To facilitate these important discussions, we could not be more excited to welcome Mary Doyle, founder of Rural On Purpose, part of the Startup Canada Communities Network, as our guest host. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Kayla. I'm so excited that Rural on Purpose is formally partnering with Startup Canada to help empower and champion rural founders across the country. This month on the Startup Women podcast, we'll connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations in Canada's rural startup space, giving you a firsthand look into the rural entrepreneurship landscape and helping rural founders make their vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Mary Doyle, founder of Rural On Purpose. Welcome to the show. Kara Emright was raised on her family farm located just outside of Tweed, Ontario. She was always very passionate about farming and decided to pursue an education in agriculture at the University of Guelph. She graduated with both a diploma in agriculture and a degree in animal science. Kara then accepted a position as a beef nutritionist covering eastern Ontario and western Quebec, spending five years with the feed company. During that time, Kara married her high school sweetheart, Daryl Enright. They decided to purchase a farm a couple of concessions south of her family. And a couple of years later, she and Daryl started a family with the birth of their first son, Corbin, who is now 11, and their daughter, Evelyn, who is now six. On their farm, Enright Cattle Company, Kara and Daryl raised purebred red and black Simmental cattle. In addition to working at the farm and the abattoir, marketing and building the Enright brand, Kara is very involved in promoting Canadian beef. She is a director of the Hastings County Cattlemen's Association. She has also served on the board of the Canadian Simmental Association and the Ontario Simmental Association. And if any more evidence was needed that Kara truly represents today's modern farmer, ask her about the time she jumped into a beaver pond to retrieve one of her most essential pieces of equipment, her iPhone. So this audience is really in for a treat because Kara is a successful farmer, but she's also an amazing entrepreneur. So welcome to the show, Kara. Thank you, Mary. It's been a little while since we've talked and I know that you you move at the speed of light. So I, I'm really excited to learn about uh, what you've been up to in the last little while. But we've heard some of your timeline in the intro, but I really want listeners to understand your rural story. 
because that's really important. If you could tell us just a little bit about your rural story, why farming? That will get us started. Sure. So I grew up on a farm. My parents owned a farm just outside of Tweed. And that is really what developed my passion for farming. So I knew right from a very young age that I loved to farm and that my career would include agriculture, whether it was veterinarian or a farmer, that was where I was headed. And so having that farm life is what really allowed me to just develop my passions and figure out that that's where I wanted to be. So I guess from there, I started purchasing cattle when I was, I think my first cow I bought when I was about 13, maybe 12. I can't remember exactly, but I was quite young. And um, I actually bought half of it. The other half my dad bought. And that was my 4-H heifer. So that was the beginning of my herd. We had a deal where I actually worked on the farm for free, which was awesome for me because that's what I wanted to do. It wasn't actually like working. And my parents then, you know, fed my cattle in exchange for that and gave them a place to live. So I started building my herd from a very young age. And by the time Daryl and I um, actually bought a farm of our own to have, I had jeepers. I must have had around 15 cows or so. Wow. (laughs) So... So that's how it all got started. And it was really just basically like a hobby for me. I guess I made my hobby into my career because I really enjoyed just raising the cattle and breeding them to see, you know, what genetics I could get. And that's where it all started. And so when Daryl and I were able to purchase our own farm, then we had the cow herd there ready to move to the farm. And so we started looking after our cattle at our farm and raising, like growing all our own feed for them and raising them there. And at that time, we were both working off the farm, as you kind of alluded to. So we both had off farm jobs, and we were continuing still to build our herds. So, you know, once we kind of got up to 30 or 40 cows, it just, it got to be quite a bit to look after when we were both working off the farm full time, and we were wanting to start a family. And so at that point, we decided, you know, okay, we have to make some decisions here because it was just too much to try and balance everything out on top of, you know, raising a young family. So we decided that we had to figure out a way to make the farm make money. So how is it going to be profitable? It needs to support at least one of us full time or at least part time on it so that we could have some sort of balance. So from there, I guess that's where it all kind of began, where we started really focusing. That's such an amazing story. And you were really, your parents turned you into an entrepreneur as a young, as a young child, as a teenager. They really did. I mean, they gave me so many different opportunities. I, I've only touched on the cows, but I know as I was growing up, before I was old enough to actually work as a part-time job, I planted the little front field of their farm. It's about an acre and a half. I planted sweet corn in it. So when I say I, I mean, my dad planted the corn and he of course, paid for the input supplies, so the seed and everything originally to get it planted. And then I picked the corn, sold the corn and turned it into basically a little summer job for myself. So set up 
little stand just at the end of the farm driveway. And then I also had sold it to a couple of grocery stores. So that was just a opportunity that they provided me. From there, I also raised a flock of uh, turkeys and some meat chickens. And so they just gave me lots of opportunity to try different things out and run a little like mini business, basically. So really allowed me to develop those skills and also gain confidence to know that, hey, I can do this and see what it was like. That's such a great education and such a great opportunity. I mean, you took the whole lemonade stand and, you know, turned it on its head. I mean, you really were an entrepreneur on steroids as as a kid. So it, it's in your blood. It's totally in your blood. Now I understand a lot more about why you're so you're so driven and so passionate right now, because you had that training and education and kind of conditioning and experience and all of that from the very beginning. So you know, kudos to your parents for doing that and getting you involved that way as as a young child. Are you doing that with your kids? I am actually. Um, Corbin last summer when COVID hit, and of course, we were still working like crazy with the farm. And I maybe would say that probably dropped the ball on the homeschooling part because just physically didn't have the time to be sitting at the table going through everything with Corbin and Evelyn and did the best we could. But we decided that because they were out with us so much on the farm that maybe we'd take the education in a little bit different route just for that time being. And we asked them if they each like to choose a project to do on the farm. Like, so they're out with us anyways, choose a project. And then we're not trying to like get the internet working and sit at the table and get everything lined up and whatever. And so Corbin chose, he was 11 at that point in time, or 10, I guess, just turning 11. And uh, he chose to raise a flock of chickens. So he had ordered 60 day old chicks. And he went on the internet and did his research to figure out what kind of gains they would get and what kind of uh, returns he would be expecting and what his costs were going to be. So how much would it cost to buy the birds? How much for the feed? And what feed conversion would they be getting? And then um, what kind of gains? So how many days until they'd be ready? And about what weight would they be at that point in time? And so then he had to you know, book his harvesting dates and all that stuff. And so he got that all together, which, you know, was basically a math class in itself. And then the birds arrived and he looked after them every morning, every night, he headed out to do his chickens. And that was just a whole little animal husbandry lesson, as well as a lesson in responsibility. And he did a great job he raised by the second week, he had decided that this was a pretty cool thing. And he ordered another flock of chickens to come for when those ones were going to be finished. So he ended up doing three flocks of chickens last year and uh, meat chickens and they, well, we have a few left in our freezer that I had to hide away so they could <laughs> So we had a supply of chicken <laughs> for the winter, but um, they went really quickly. They're delicious. And he learned a lot and he made some money that he put away for his school and his education. And it was just really really interesting to watch and see and experience how he really developed that that sort of end of it and even you know his skills as far as speaking to others and communication and I don't want to call it sales skills but he's a very chatty easygoing um, kid but when you're in a position where you're basically cold calling you know to see hey I have these chickens are, are you interested <laughs> that takes you to a whole different level for like an 11 year old kid right so it was just interesting to see um, that and and for him to figure out what all information he had to have prepared in order to 
to do a good job with that conversation. And then, you know, he looked after the sales of it. So the money counting out his cash and change and all that sort of thing. So it was really good. And Evelyn, who was five at the time turning six, she decided to train our, there was a cow that had twin calves. And so she decided that her project was going to be training the twin calves. So I don't know how many of the listeners would have experienced this sort of thing, but it's a pretty big task to uh, put a halter on a calf and teach it to come and stop and respect the halter when you're literally 40 pounds on the end of it (laughs) double your weight easily and so anyhow we didn't have time to help her the whole thing was that they had to do it themselves and she literally a five-year-old trained these calves like they now run over to the fence at her call like she just calls them they run over to the fence you know she was able to put the halters on them we gave her a safe space so we always make sure that there was like a gated pen that she could bring them into to work with so that none of the other cattle would be bothering her at all but she broke these calves so they would you know she'd have them out in the lawn and walking them around and so it was pretty the relationship that she developed with them just was amazing to watch and just to see how she learned to respect them and in turn how she learned that they respected her and just giving her that experience was pretty cool I have to admit I didn't think she was ever going to train those calves (laughs) that's a pretty big feat and she had never had any experience with it like prior to us um, having kids we used to show cattle all the time and then we had kids and then we kind of took a different focus with the whole um, business and so instead of focusing on the sale of live animals we went to the beef end of it and so we literally just kind of dropped that showing part off right then and there so she had never even witnessed us doing this so I was I simply showed her here's the halter here's the show stick here's a brush they love to be scratched you know this is how you put the halter on and kind of figured it out that and she just she just grabbed a hold of that and and went so it was pretty cool to watch okay two things one we need to get your kids on this podcast and so we can interview them because (laughs) that's pretty amazing they're great stories and two you need to be involved in education reform (laughs) <laughs> you really do but that that's those are amazing lessons and the education that they got with you was probably far superior to anything that they were going to get you know sitting and doing their online lessons I'm so impressed I'm, I'm so glad you told that story so let's talk a little bit more about your journey and your entrepreneurship experience so as a cattle farmer and a food producer how have you navigated the sustainability of your operations we look at sustainability on a very many different levels. So right from the production end where we're trying our best to leave the environment better than better condition than we found it. So as far as, you know, ensuring that we're doing a good job at rotating the crops and ensuring that we have uh, lots of established pasture to, you know, help with the carbon conversions and that sort of thing. Um, But we also take it a little bit further as well as trying to utilize every part of the animal that we produce. So our, our whole thing is we're producing cattle, we're raising cattle, and most people just think of strictly beef 
when you think of that. But we take it one step further and we try to not have anything wasted. So for example, you know, the hides, they are something that often there's no demand for them and they will simply be composted or you're, you know, paying to have them disposed of. And so we have set up a value chain where we're able to have our hides tanned here in Ontario. And then we work with a local uh, leather makers who then create that leather into a variety of products from handbags to furniture to accessories. I've had a really beautiful pair of boots made. Like we've had lots of different leather products made with those. And then the extra fat which is often disposed of simply because there's just too much extra to to utilize. I mean, you can use some for suet and that sort of thing, but um, we only had so much demand for that. And so we decided to look at other options. How could we create some more demand for, you know, like the extra fat? And so we had another local artisan who renders the fat down into tallow and then creates uh, tallow soap and some tallow hand bombs. And we're currently... um, producing we just started producing some tallow candles as well so we're just trying to create more products that would normally be something that go into the compost kind of thing so just trying to utilize as much of what we produce as possible and not have anything wasted is our whole goal that i know some of this story and i know about the new product line with your leather bags and your leather accessories and that i didn't know about the suet but i can tell you that the craftsmanship is absolutely amazing and you know you are really really looking at sustainability and and creating a circular economy with your products and i think it's fantastic and it's great great story to hear you also have a meticulous tracking system for your beef and that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize exists. Like I was just, I was amazed when you, when I first heard about it and if you could tell us a little bit about that, that would be great. Sure. So a few years ago, I guess sometime after BSE occurred, the government regulations changed. And as livestock producers, you had to actually have a ear tag on each animal to trace and track where they have been or where they go and where they came from. And so that was implemented And a lot of people were grumbling about it because it's an extra step. And we thought it provided this really cool opportunity that would allow us now it has an electronic chip in it. So it allow us to track different things. So what we did was just we embraced that and we had worked with a computer company that actually developed a traceability system for us. So we're able to electronically track all major events that happen to each animal. So if they're vaccinated, when we're vaccinating them, we scan their ear tag and and it's electronically recorded whatever they're being vaccinated with as they move from my farm from Daryl and I's farm to my parents farm um, that movement is tracked and you know when we're weighing them we're able to record their weight as we can see how well they're growing and what their gains are and then as they move on to the abattoir that traceability continues so when that animal is being broken down into your stakes and and so forth that animal number is embedded into a barcode which is placed on each package of meat so then as the meat is sold 
uh, it's scanned out to whatever customer. So if we have a restaurant buying a specific cut, we scan that barcode to that specific customer, it creates our invoice, but it also tracks where that piece of meat has gone. So in the end, I'm able to do a complete recall and tell you where each piece of meat from each animal has gone within a, a few seconds kind of thing. I just took it up to my computer and hit go. So it really has been great to a great tool to have in case we ever have to do a recall. I mean, knock on wood, we haven't had to, but it is there uh, to be able to assist us with, but it also provides us with some great information for production end of it. Cause we'll once in a while we'll have, you know, a comment come back saying, well, that strip loin that I got uh, last week, Kara, had really great marbling in. It was really tender, like it was really exceptional. And so then we're able to look and see, well, what animal did that come from? And we can track that back and, and see, okay, well, what cow family was that? If it's um, a dominant cow family or if it's one that we, you know, want to continue to keep heifers out of and grow that. Or, or if it's poor feedback, then we can also use that and see, well, what animal did it come from? And, you know, maybe that's one that we should be you know, calling from the herd or whatever, like, so it really allows us to get some management decisions based on the feedback that we get from our customers, which is really valuable as well. That's incredible quality control, you know, and, and the, the system that you've created and that you're using is a system, a tracking and tracing system for quality and management of any issues that come up that I, I think that there are tech companies that don't have systems like that, that are that, are that robust and that, that are that effective. So that's really wonderful. I know that social media, well, you have a really strong online presence. How important is having a strong online presence to your business? And then if you could also tell us how important is it to farming in general? In my opinion, it, it is very important to have a strong online presence. It is an excellent form of communication. So we're able to let our customers know if we have new products available, but then also it just gives us a way to share with them our story and like, how do we raise our cattle and how do we grow our crops and why do we do it like that and who all is involved? So, you know, when, when the kids had their projects, I was kind of sharing online, you know, this is Corbin with his chickens and, you know, this, this and that. And so, I mean... He did. He did do some cold calls, mostly because I wanted him to. But there, if, when he, if he went onto a list, you know, onto the Facebook post, there was so many people wanting to buy his chickens that he really didn't need to do the the cold calls. But I didn't want him to get off that easy. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's really it's a good marketing tool, but it's also a really good way to educate people about your business. And as far as for the farmers, there's less and less farmers. I guess there's people, it used to be that everybody kind of had a connection to the farm. Now, I mean, they're more removed. So you it used to be that you knew a farmer, but now you don't necessarily know a farmer. So if you have a farming question, who do you ask? Right. So yeah. ask the farmer. And so if you don't know a farmer, how are you going to ask them the question? So if you have that presence online, then they can easily find you. They can ask you their question. You can get rid of those myths that are out there, you know, floating around and you they have a way to to get some direct answers and you have a way to share your story. So it is time consuming and it's it's just part of the job, I think, for us. That's the way I look at it. And it's actually a lot of the time it's 
pretty um, fulfilling too when you have people, you know, just interacting with you and giving you some encouragement because some days, you know, there's lots of highs and there's lots of lows too. So when you're posting, they're there to support you on both of those ends, which is, is nice as well. And it really gives people a glimpse into the life of a farmer, what it what it means to be, you know, somebody who's living on the land and living at a farming life and people don't have an idea about that but I know there are a lot of people that follow your story really really closely and they feel really connected and I think social media while it can be a blessing it can also be a curse and because you share your life so openly online people are going to feel connected to you that you don't even know and Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you probably have some people that even travel to come and visit you on the farm. And is that ever a, an issue or a concern or, or something that you have to you have to deal with? Well, prior to COVID, of course, we were very open to having people come in and get a tour or visit us at the farm. And we have our grain bin, of course, set up there right at the farm for which is our retail space. And so that was really developed just to accommodate those people that are coming out and they want to have a little tour and then they want to look at the products that you have. And so that's what we developed that for. So at that point, it wasn't as much of a concern. We just um, were basically asking people to give us a heads up as to when they'd like to come so that we, you know, weren't in the middle of, of doing whatever project. And so that worked out fine. Now, of course, we discouraged the tours um, and um, cancelled events and that sort of thing with COVID. But I think that in most cases, people are pretty considerate and they, you know, send you a message and would like to come out and do a tour or maybe they're just, you know, signing up for a different event that you're hosting. And we don't mind, um, you know, having people come and have a look around because it's great that they're interested to know and that's how they learn. You know, it's almost like a reality show for people you know, following your lives and and then coming out and actually visiting. It's it's really exciting. So my next question is, what advice would you give to a young woman who is interested in exploring farming as a career path? I would say go for it. I mean, I would definitely encourage her to get involved in any way possible. There's lots of opportunity to work on farms. We're always looking for keen people that want to come out and just work with us. And that's the best way to learn. So there's lots of job opportunities. Come out and and, uh, work on a farm and learn how it all runs and see if you like it. And from there, you know, you can build your own if that's what you desire. I mean, it is a tough road because farming is very equity expensive I guess like mm. there's a lot of in, a lot of that goes into purchasing a farm but it's not impossible I mean Daryl and I we weren't handed down the family farm by any means we purchased our own farm and we of course had the support of our family farm in the means of being able to borrow equipment to get started and of course as I have already shared my my deal with my parents of how I built up the herd but um, situations like that or scenarios like that are available from farmers that are retirement age and are looking to you know maybe slow down and they potentially don't have a successor um, waiting to come on on board and so there's opportunities where you can uh, you don't necessarily have to be from a farm is what I'm trying to say in order to farm if that's something if that's your goal and that's what you want to do there's definitely ways to make that happen so I would 
would encourage them to start by working on a farm and seeing if it really is what they want to do because you have to be passionate about it. You really, really do. You have to love farming. It's a hard job. It's a long job. It's a never ending job, but I'm calling it a job, but it's not a job to me. It's a hobby. It's something that I love to do. I don't have to set an alarm clock in the morning to get up and go to work. I just, I wake up because, hey, it's time to go and check the cows or it's time to to do whatever. And it has never felt like a job, whether it's one of the less desirable parts, like, okay, we have to clean out pens or we're doing little square bales or we're, I don't know, so many different tasks. It just seems like they're not, they're not really a job. It's just there's these different tasks that we do and some are more pleasant than others, but all of it in the grand scheme allows us to do what we love, which is farming. And if If you don't love it, then you're probably not going to want to get into it because there's so many different tasks that that aren't necessarily like the most enticing thing to do. But in the grand scheme of it, when you love it, then you just do. And so if you're passionate about it and you love it, then you're going to be successful at it. And so why not do your hobby full time? That's a great motto, you know, for entrepreneurship, for any entrepreneurs, you have to be passionate about what you're doing if you want to be successful. Mm -hmm. And if you are passionate, if you think that that's something that you want to explore, Kara is a a really great person to follow because you'll, you'll really get a good sense of what that life is like. And uh, I think she's pretty happy to answer questions as well. So she's all about encouraging people. I have one more question. The Enright Cattle Company clearly prioritizes community. Mm-hmm. On your website, it says, when you buy Enright Cattle, you're supporting a rural economy. Vibrant rural communities mean healthier towns and cities and a better future for all of us. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that is part of everything that I believe. And I think that um, it's, it's really important to hear that message from you. Yes. So when you buy from a local farm or if you buy beef from us, you're basically influxing cash into the rural economy. We buy our feed from the rural or from like the local um, feed store. We buy so many inputs from these small local businesses that create our community from, you know, our groceries that we pick up in in Tweed to our um, fertilizer that's from the the local crop store, crop input store. And so when you're supporting local farmers, then in turn, you're supporting the entire community because all of our inputs come from that small rural community. Even like our hand bomb, that lady that uh, makes our hand bomb, she's literally like two roads over, right? Wow. So you're supporting her, who's another um, female entrepreneur. And, you know, when you buy our leather products, well, you're supporting another um, artisan that's a local artisan. And so all of those, all of this stuff is just done within a rural community. And so by buying a pound of ground beef, in turn, you're supporting so many different small businesses, not just ours. And right from, you know, the abattoir to the feed companies to the even the Tomco pallet plant in Tweed, for example, like we're able to get the shavings from there to use to bed the cattle when we when we need to top dress the straw and that sort of thing. So it even reaches out to different areas like that, the local hardware store when we're, you know, fixing up the buildings and that sort of thing. And so it really keeps our rural areas going by supporting the smaller local businesses with one simple thing is just buying food from the local farmer. 
And it's such an important message, especially during this, during COVID, during this pandemic, that whole buy local message and campaign has just been incredibly helpful and has supported rural businesses. So I'm really glad to, to hear your response to that. Yeah. And it's just nice if, um, if we have, if you have the support, if the local farmers have the support, not just during COVID, but pre-COVID, post-COVID, to continue to support them because we set up efficiencies and economies and value chains in order to supply you with that product. So if that demand for that product goes away, well, then that value chain ultimately will, you know, disassemble. And then it's really difficult to just turn that back on again. So for example, in the dairy industry, a lot of um, demand for smaller packaging of milk increased right at COVID, right? And it wasn't that we weren't producing the milk because yes, dairy farmers and beef farmers, all of us farmers were still producing the same amount of food. We can't just turn that on and off, but it's how it is processed. So it wasn't being processed for home consumption in the smaller packages. A lot of it was processed in the larger packages for like restaurants and wholesale, that sort of thing. But when that part of the economy closed down, then we had to reroute how to process the food in a form that would be acceptable for home use. And it's the same in the beef part of it. So instead of having a whole strip loin going to a restaurant where they would portion it into steaks, now we had to all of a sudden portion all those whole strip loins into individual steaks ourselves and package each one individually, which takes a lot more time. And even though we had our online home delivery system set up prior to COVID, it wasn't a big part of our business. And so then to just do a 360 and all of a sudden have it very close to 100% of our business, we didn't have the efficiencies in place. So it was really challenging for everybody. They put in a lot of long hours and a lot of stress to try and get that product to be home ready, I guess. And so had there been a demand for that, originally those those supply chains would naturally already have found their efficiencies and been ready to go. And so now that there is more demand for local food and, you know, they're just naturally finding their efficiencies again, I guess I as a farmer, I'm hoping that the demand for that will continue to carry on so that those supply chains continue to improve and and be there and, and increase their efficiencies because it's really difficult to turn those on and off in order to be able to continue to feed the family. That, you know, Kara, that's a really important education piece because I don't think that, that most consumers even consider that. So the supply chain development and the pivoting that you've had to do to develop something that's going to, that's going to get you through until that, whatever that next stage is going to be is really also dependent on the consumer. And so that responsibility is on the consumer. And, I, and I, that's been a theme um, with every interview that I've done so far. That whole consumer responsibility piece is really, really important. And it, it starts with the education. It starts with understanding uh, why it's so important and what you've had to do to pivot and what you've had to do to adjust and what you need to do to continue on after the pandemic um, is, is once we're through that. So that's really, that was a really, really important piece. I'm so so glad we got to that before the end of this this interview and it's about sustainability you want your children to be able to continue if they want to on on the family farm mm-hmm. it's all about it's all about the essence of our rural communities what makes them the unique communities that they are it's the the people that are there living out their their passions and and living their best lives so i appreciate everything that you've said you're incredibly humble incredibly modest you're doing amazing work 
And as down to earth as you are, you are a crazy amazing role model for female and rural entrepreneurs. And I'm really thankful that you're here. Thank you for doing your part to ensure that the next generation has an opportunity to farm. And thank you for sharing your story today. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. To learn more about rural entrepreneurship and to plug into the Startup Canada network, visit www.startupcan.ca or www.ruralonpurpose.com. Until next time, I'm Mary Doyle. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the full potential of women. Mm -hmm.